Hey. All right, we're live. So uh, I'll intro. Uh, we've been talking about doing this for a while. What some people would call a classic documentary film. Uh, even I myself have, have referred to it in that capacity. Parts of it, um, parts of it are good. We're gonna kind of uh, critically analyze it and uh, sort of go into to detail on Ken Burns' Civil War. Uh, this is kind of a topic we're all passionate about. So, um, Thurman, I'll let you kind of kind of pick up from there because you you got a lot of passion on this topic, and and I've been looking forward to hearing what you have to say all day. Okay, well, I think it's really important first that we establish what the Civil War, a film by Ken Burns, is. And um, it was really a cultural phenomenon when it came out. And um, I think what's, what's really fascinating in terms of documentaries is, is the fact that he spent five years making this. Uh, it's extremely well done. The, the sources, the music, the audio, everything about it is top rate, top class. And it was really influential upon documentary filmmaking after it came out. I mean, Ken Burns was already an established documentarian at that point and he had, he had made some films i think he made one over the statue of liberty he had made another one over um brooklyn bridge maybe brooklyn bridge. right correct and but this was was groundbreaking this was new the the black and white photos with the the zooming the panning and the, the narration and the music and it really hit home with a lot of people and pretty much any documentary you see after this has been influenced in some way by Ken Burns' The Civil War. And it aired in September of 1990. And what's incredible is that this is public broadcasting, PBS, and he was able over the five nights, I believe, to attract 40 million viewers. I mean, that's incredible. An average of about 14 million viewers turned in, tuned in at some point per episode. I mean, that's, that's incredible. So, of course, this happens. This gets released. And it receives a lot of critical acclaim and numerous awards. And it's actually rebroadcast again by PBS in 1994. 2002, and then I think in 2015, that was for the 25th anniversary, where they actually remastered it, which if you've watched the Blu-ray disc, it looks really good. And um, it also had a companion book that was released at the time, but it was a phenomenon, and you even had a book written by historians that contained various essays. I just bought a copy of that. Do you have that, Thurman? Uh, I have the Kindle version of it, which, I mean, I know I'm more into physical books, but this was like something I felt I needed to get quick. <laughs> and um, even though 
even though um, Ken Burns, The Civil War, is very well renowned, very well regarded, for many, it is the definitive document, visual document of the Civil War. When people think of the Civil War, they think of the Civil War, a film by Ken Burns. And, but historians, on the other hand, were a little bit more critical, even back when this collection of essays came out, the historians respond to the Civil War. So they were even taking issues with it back then. But we see more of it now. More People are taking more issues with some of the inconsistencies or, as we've pointed out, some of the lost cause mythology that weaves its way into there. And um, I... When, when I read through some of the essays, the, the essays, the, the essay that really stood out to me was the one that was written by Eric Fohn. Right, who is the author of, let's see, this fabulous book right here, which is Reconstruction, right? America's Unfinished Revolution. It's considered uh, an absolute tome on Reconstruction. One of the definitive books, Dr. Jones actually recommended it, so I read it and I was like, wow. Yeah, that was very Owen Wilson. I'm, I'm sorry. I like it. <laughs> wow. But, um, but Eric Foner, in, in this essay where he's, he's critical of Ken Burns, mainly due to the fact that he sort of sidelines the African-American story, which is true. But probably my favorite quote that I pulled from this was or has to do with how Ken Burns mishandles the overall narrative. And he has this to say as an Eric Thorne. And this is quote, faced with the choice between historical illumination or nostalgia, Burns consistently opts for nostalgia. And I think that's very true. So in a way, what we get with Ken Burns' Civil War, regardless of the amount of primary sources that are featured, also secondary, I mean, there are several talking head interviews that appear throughout there, which... I have no doubt y'all are going to get into with Mr. Shelby Foote, but um, I want to just want to say we made it seven minutes before mentioning Shelby Foote. Well, that's great. <laughs> that's I, not I bad. That's but um, it's it's just I, I feel that in in way Burns, unfortunately sort of glosses over a lot of the the horror, the terror, the and and, and also ultimately uh, the continuing story. The fact that the the Civil War, and this is mentioned by Barbara Fields in in the documentary itself, that we are still fighting the Civil War to this day. Right, which I absolutely believe. 
But the Ken Burns version of it is, well, hey, this war was this great unifying experience. And we came out of it as a whole country. And we'll never separate again. Which, I mean, who knows how that's going to go? Because, well, we had a bunch of people storm the Capitol earlier in the year. Well, too, I, I want to remark on this. Like, I just recently have been doing a lot of research on the Arkansas uh, Civil War, 772 engagements, and just also on secession and how we haven't talked about this, but <clears throat> back when there were protests in, in 2020 starting to happen and when they were prolonged, you had these militia-type groups popping up. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and Ken Burns does hit on that a little bit. Uh, but, um, man, it's just alarming, like the mobilization of the militia and like the connection of going towards an event like a civil war. Like that is exactly how it started in Arkansas. All these little militia groups started forming. Then they started seizing the Little Rock Arsenal. Then they seized Fort Smith. And, you know, we saw... Uh, a lot of parallels in 2020 and um so i don't think that's far-fetched and, and i think that's why you know we've we've done a few uh podcasts on this topic of the civil war and um what's alarming to me is I, i've engaged with people on on some of these uh, discussions about lost cause mythology and, and people have this uh, idea maybe some of them got them from like documentaries such as these uh, but they've never read a book on the Civil War, which is alarming. So, you know, like, theory of their knowledge, like, where did they get this knowledge, right? Is it, were they one of these 40 million viewers, or was their history teacher one of these 40 million viewers of Ken Burns' Civil War in 1990? You know? Uh, so it does beg some, some really important questions about... Um, Anytime I assign like a project in any of my classes, like I always do some sort of a based on a true story assignment. And really the whole goal of the assignment is not really to talk about the tenants that are on point. It's, hey, you know, Alexander Hamilton, you're, you're introducing uh, people who are only going to know about that uh, person and Sally Hemings you're introducing her in a Playboy bunny costume, right? So it's just like the way in which people receive their ideas in a, in a digital age, I think is super important. A lot of people are actually calling for a, a, an update or, or a remake uh, by Burns. And have you seen, have either of you seen any of the comments? I mean, Burns has done some interviews on this and commented on statues and like has really come out hard against the lost cause right. saying some of the same things that we've said on re previous podcasts right um i mean i think regardless of where we find inconsistencies like i said with the civil war film by kim burns i still think it is an excellent documentary i think it's one of the best documentaries i've ever seen that's good right i, I mean i mean I, I do and i think Ken Burns is a legitimate person and, and that he's willing to admit, okay, well, maybe I made a mistake here. And I mean, that's admirable. And uh, I just think that 
I mean, I don't know if you could fully remake Ken Burns' Civil War. But perhaps it could be like a Gone with the Wind type situation where you add some context into it somewhere. But then again, Burns did add a whole other chapter to his baseball documentary. That was the 10th inning, and that came out, I want to say, 10 years ago, maybe? Because the series was originally from 94. Yeah, you know, what's interesting, too, to think about is... Um looking at some of the commentary by historians uh you see that ken burns used as a consultation on the film steve ann woodward yes whoa so maybe that is a testament to how woven into our culture and society the lost cause myth is that you know i thought about this it's like I wonder if they were trying to present somewhat, and I haven't read this in any of the commentary, but if they were trying to present a balanced approach, because it's like, what you should do is talk about lost cause, like I talk about it in class, or like we're talking about it, like, hey, this is this false narrative that was created during this time, you know, and Ken Burns presents it that way when he does interviews, but is not presented that way in the documentary and, and maybe that could be the update is discussing this sort of um, uh, mythos of deifying people like Robert E. Lee and, and Nathan mm-hmm. Bedford Forrest like that dude's like the star of the whole show you know I mean that's a well, very I mean, do ahead. you feel like a lot of that is because Shelby Fett has so much time like screen time like he is constantly talking and he is the one who puts forth that how much screen time does shelby foot have does anybody have that uh i want to say it was nearly an hour i was thinking 45 minutes but yeah. man, it is like he's on there in every episode for a long time and then i was so i thought it was 45 minutes but then i was like maybe it was 45 minutes then um that other professor that gets no screen time you know it's just crazy how much he does get in his his voice like the way he tells stories about stonewall jackson eating peaches you know i mean it's it's over the top it's it i could see it would be luring to people uh that had maybe never been interested in the civil war like man listen to this guy like, I want what he's selling. And what if the part where he talks about like getting Nathan Bedford Force's sword and like swinging it over his head that's disturbing. Like, that guy was in the clan. <laughs> so, I've had a couple of students bring this up in um, classes in the past uh, about Forrest. Well, you know, after the Civil War, he actually tried to unify the races and you know he he felt bad about starting the clan so we should give him a pass it's more or less what they're saying but i've had like there's a narrative out there um that you know while he did start the the clan which led to all of this uh martial law in arkansas for example um throughout i mean like the earliest years of reconstruction were just violent and um 
a lot of that was because of uh, the rising of the Klan and, and these newly freed slaves are trying to integrate in society in places like Arkansas. Uh, or like, have you seen? Uh, and if you haven't, I can um, I can maybe pull up a screenshot here. Some of the Harper's Weekly illustrations from like the 1860s of Klan members terrorizing these black families inside of their homes. It's like it's the illustrations are chilling, you know. <laughs> but uh, you know, how can, I'm not going to give him a pass. You know what I'm saying? Not because it's like you were. Yeah, maybe he was uh, not the sole cause of of what the Klan became, and there's the rise of the second Klan later. But it's you know, a lot of people want to deify these people and give them a, give them a pass, or, or however you want to describe it. And that's I really question why you know where does that come from? How how do people um, how can people be so forgiving? <laughs> Um, I think another interesting thing with the Civil War, we talk about Nathan Bedford Forrest and how he was one of the founders of the Klan. In the Civil War, filmed by Ken Burns, another widely used primary source is Confederate General John B. Gordon, who was also a prominent member of the Klan. So... You've already got this. It's it feels a bit poisoned. Well, uh, so and two, did Shelby Foote ever actually? He wasn't a PhD. He he was more of a writer, right? He, did he teach history? See, um, the way that I describe it is that Shelby Foote is an author, but he plays a historian on television. That's that's a great way. He's like a Graham Hancock, <laughs> if you know if you know who that is. Like he he really puts some good stuff out, but then he's like at the end of it, he's like it was aliens, and and stuff like that, you know, or drugs. So he gets a uh, he gets a lot of flight. But yeah, right. But um, in terms of being an academic historian, no, Shelby Foote was not. He was an author. He wrote mainly Southern-based fiction. He wrote historical fiction, though. He, he wrote a book, over, a historical fiction book over Shiloh. And this was previous to when he wrote uh, the Civil War narrative, the three-volume collection, which came out in the 50s. But for having as much screen time as he does in Ken Burns' Civil War, uh, he's probably one of the least qualified people that they have talking about it. I mean, Barbara Fields, uh, she graduated from Harvard, Yale. Uh, Ed Bears, his, he's great. He, he only died last year. He was like 97 years old. Uh, I mean, he was, he was academically trained. Uh, but for the most part, they they give Shelby Foote so much screen time, but he doesn't really have the academic backing or training. Uh, pretty much what he has to his name is the Civil War narrative, the three-volume series, which I, I have the first volume. 
right right here, which uh, on the back has a tag from Hastings, which shows how long ago that was that I purchased that. Did you read it though? Huh? Did you read it? Or did, did you I just own it? Kind of skimmed it. Never bought the other two volumes though. <laughs> skimmed it? Sounds yeah, great. It's, it, it is, it's a narrative. It's obviously Shelby Foote, he's, he's an author. Nothing of course is like academic wise, there's no footnotes or sourcing or anything. So it's a lot like what we get in the documentary. These anecdotal stories that really have nothing to prove that they really happened or not. It is, it, it does read good though. What, you know, so let's, let's uh, use this and if you can recall, uh, or if you noticed, so just some of the approaches that these first, uh, this first half of uh, the documentary takes on, you know, because I will say <clears throat> it is difficult I, I, to approach the topic of teaching the Civil War, especially on an intro level, like in my, my survey class, because of how big of an event. I mean, Arkansas, we're talking 772 engagements. There were only more engagements in three other states. And it's just such a vast event that it's like, okay, how do you pack it in? Well, you need something like a Ken Burns Civil War. And then you get these sort of approaches. I mean, even I'm guilty of doing this of, all right, let's talk about the battles. You know, and that's not the only approach I take. And, and I think this is a place where people are critical of, of Ken Burns, the Civil War. And we can just approach these early topics like he there is a lot of emphasis on battles, but then how the topic of succession, how they broach that, you know. Um, but what uh, how is how is Shelby Foote's book laid out? Like what approach does he take in that first narrative? Is it just battle by battle? Is it? Well, he starts with um, everybody's perennial favorite. President Jefferson Davis in the Senate. Why? Because it's Shelby Foote, and he obviously likes the Southerners. But it mainly follows, I mean, it's it's more of a, definitely a political and battle history more than anything. It's a lot like we see, I mean, it, it, not exactly like we see with Ken Burns, of course, because I think Burns does a pretty good job in that first half of showing how slavery impacts what leads up to, hap to what, what happens with the war. But I think the problem is, is that once you reach the conflict, it just disappears. Well, until emancipation shows up, 1862, 63, and uh, the predominant characters that they follow in Ken Burns, the Civil War, are all white, pretty much, right? Besides Frederick Douglass, but even he's half, right? Morgan Free. I would like to call him Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Right? That's that's Morgan Freeman's uh, narration. Does a great job. Right, and he was just coming off of the success of uh, Driving Miss Daisy and Glory, so... You know that, yeah, that's that's pretty. It must have been a pretty good time for him. 
<laughs> yeah, well, and that's one of the things that that is luring to people. Like, even like I joked earlier, it's like Shelby Foote says some problematic things, but the way in which he says it is very is very uh, alluring. You know, it draws you in the the way, just like Morgan Freeman's voice would kind of draw you in. It's like it is a good. Uh, he's a good orator, right? So um, there's this po uh, point that, like, kind of what I was making a second ago in the first episode, the cause, mm -hmm. when they're talking about, I believe it's the section called secessionitis, uh, and you have, I believe it's Fields uh, is her name, and you know she she's like, oh yeah, the cause of the Civil War was slavery. Mm -hmm. And then, like, right after that, and then a lot of these, I will say, several episodes open with Shelby Foote. But, like, right after her, he's like, well, it was actually our failure to compromise. And I just thought uh, they didn't put everybody that was a commentator on the entire documentary series back-to-back -back offering those pers their perspectives. <clears throat> it kind of seemed like they put the two people that's like, okay, well, he, you know, Foote even says at different points is talking about states' rights and the Southern way of life and different things or whatever. But <clears throat> I felt like that that placement was sort of convenient. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wonder if that was an intentional, like, back-to-back, -back, like these polar contrasting views of this sort of lost cause view of things and the, the actual, uh, like, okay, a primary cause of the Civil War was slavery. <clears throat> yeah, I think you're right. Did we just lose Julie? We did. Uh oh. <clears throat> she should be able to just come right back in. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I I think it was probably deliberate to juxtapose those two viewpoints against each other. Uh, one of the interesting things that Fields does mention is that and I'm just kind of paraphrasing her here, but that the war was not about the battlefield, but about a higher ideal freedom. And I mean, I'm like, wow, you know, I, I think that's, that's great, you know, but yeah. And then you get Shelby foot on the other hand, who, even though he calls the war, like the crossroads of our being, he goes on to say that lack of compromise caused the war. And I feel like, Throughout the documentary, you get to the end of of, of the civil of civil war. I I feel like almost Burns kind of agrees with this compromise thing because there's this whole idea of reunion and unity at the end of it. Like like we had to come together and that I, I don't know it, it, it just felt weird to me yeah I get what you it's like okay so let's explore this thread so I remember when I took US history one for example and and you see this uh, come up in research um, if you're exploring this topic is that okay well, 
post Civil War, you know, and you could argue that you could argue this today for reasons we said earlier. But post Civil War, the United States is a great nation, mm-hmm. right? Before the Civil War, the United States are a great nation. Like this sort of contrasting view that you know. Pre-Civil War, it was a bunch of states that kind of came together, and and then post-Civil War, um, yeah, we're, we're 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 together and we're not busting back apart, which again uh, open to debate, I guess, um, in light of recent events. But I feel like so. You but, know, if you look at like Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, that's mm-hmm. where, where I was going mm-hmm. with this, you. You kind of see those tones in, in that speech and in some some comments he makes after. You know, he doesn't talk about the South. There's this these these sort of um, uh, this sectionalism and these sectional tensions that have been growing. It's just like the way that uh, you know academics start talking about the country after the Civil War. The way that he talks about it in the Gettysburg Address. It's like what happens when you put that topic and you get a lost cause or commenting on it, you know what I'm saying? Of, uh, you know, you're going to get some states' rights peppered in there uh, and so on. But what were you going to say a second ago? Well, I was going to say to kind of re-articulate or try to articulate what I was trying to say about the overall themes uh, of, of Ken Burns' Civil War is, is I don't know. I, I feel as if it's almost suggesting, and I feel in a way this is kind of present in, in Lost Cause things too, but that it's more about Americans fighting each other on the battlefield than about redefining what our Declaration of Independence means, what our Constitution means, what does freedom mean, what is liberty? Yeah, and that's that's interesting too um, because uh, Gettysburg Address, again, when Lincoln, people who were critical of his remarks um, were like, don't be talking about the Declaration of Independence. We fight for the Constitution around here. Right. So, well, uh, anyway, interesting. Well, I, I also think, too, and I've heard this from several scholars before, but they they call, like, the period of the emancipation and all that, the or, and Civil War, the Second American Revolution. I don't know if you've heard that thrown around before, right? I've heard, because, you know, they, the War of 1812 is, is commonly referred to as the, the Second War for American independence. Right. But in terms of... During the Civil War, after the Civil War, our Constitution, everything changes. The basis of everything that our government is founded on changes. Uh, you know, all the, the slavery stuff is gone at this point, or is supposed to be, even though we know about systemic racism that later shows up and stuff and all that. But that... The idea that our understanding of our government changes because uh, we, the people, all men are created equal, all that becomes more inclusive. You also have slavery being abolished. 
Welcome back, Julie. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry I died. <laughs> yeah, well, and then I didn't add you back to the stream. For, I could see you down there, but I had to like... Well, I was quit, just listening. I could cool. hear you guys, so I was just listening. Well, hopefully that was okay. I mean... It's good discussion. So I'm sure somebody will have issue with it. <laughs> some some podcasts we did a while back got some comment. I'll have to screenshot it and send it to you. I don't remember which one it was, but it was like one of the stupid comments that some of our podcasts get. But you know, oh, what, um, what was it? Was it one of the Civil War? Was it the Kennedy was it, one? It was it JFK? Because that one's got several comments. Let me oh yeah, I know. You, you sent them to me and. Yeah, I know. There's, it's so cute. You know, cause the people, one that said you should listen to the Lone Gunman podcast. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like we're trying to do this in an episode, maybe two or three over an extended period of time. It's not like we're trying to put an audible series, 28 episodes up. Like we could do that. Thurman, you got this, man. Like I've seen your little bookshelf. We're going to do an episode on every one of those books. Good. You know, I'd do it. You know. Maybe People wouldn't like it. it. I mean, they—they they, you didn't mention anything about executive action from 1973, even though I talk about it in my thesis. I wrote several pages over it. And I think I, I don't remember if I don't. I need to go back and look uh, if I don't. But I'm pretty sure your thesis is linked, like in the videos that you've appeared, especially the ones like when we talked about your thesis and when we when we did the jfk episode which you've done a couple now um okay right. maybe it was uh yeah i got some weird you remember when quinn foster was on i got some weird comment mm -hmm. on that one about somebody trying to fight him and he wouldn't fight him and yeah maybe that was the one i was thinking was wild well that was so that was about around the same time that we did one of the episodes i think Actually, I think this episode is a year to date from, or almost a year to date from the second one we did over Gettysburg and y'all's personal favorite gods and generals. <laughs> Don't remind me. You, okay, so you remember, um, you know, McCool, the guy that I work with? Yeah. He likes gods and generals, and I'm like, dude. Why? That movie's terrible. <laughs> oh. Man, that, I like... That's just like a couple of movies that we've uh, like watched. We're never going to get that time back, right? I watched it twice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, we got a comment here. Uh, oh, I see that. of the states. Um, something that is as important as the war itself. Uh, you know, what's interesting about, um, you know, Reconstruction... A lot of people, I was telling somebody this other day, a lot of people think that Reconstruction is this, uh, you know, you have these national dates in like your textbooks where, oh, Reconstruction is from 1865 until 1877. Like, really, it was from 1864. Arkansas re-entered under Lincoln's 10% plan mm -hmm. um, while under Union occupation. And... 1864 was the worst year for the Federals in in Arkansas militarily because of all the cavalry raids and, and guerrilla warfare and, and stuff that was going on. But so that 
in Reconstruction really comes to an end after the Brooks-Baxter War in Arkansas in 1874. Mm. Um, so it's like that's 10 years, you know, but you look at it nationally, it's, uh, it's longer. And if you look at it in other states, the times are different. And that's just like with, with studying the Civil War itself uh, and like trying to cover all these topics. It's like, and there is, I will say, um, PBS, have you seen this? Either one of you, PBS is coming out with a uh, big documentary series on Reconstruction. Uh, I've been seeing, uh, or it's already out, one or the other. Yeah, I thought they already had one. It may, it may already be out. Like I was trying to... Like watch clips of it, but it's like oh, it's not available in your region, so I wasn't sure if it'd come out yet. But I wasn't, I hadn't really, uh, I hadn't been charting it. Maybe it's been out for like a year or something, though. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure that there is a PBS documentary over Reconstruction. I haven't seen it, but I feel like I've heard of it. Uh, yeah. P. Okay. Re. Uh, okay. There's several episodes. Um, see america after the civil war but you know what what is interesting i mean basically kind of what i was saying a second ago in this comment about you know reconciliation of the states you see this this massive um sort of backlash to reconstruction you see it during reconstruction um a lot of division nationally on how mm -hmm. it should take place between the president and Congress and factions within Congress and uh, these, and then you take into account like uh, martial law, former Confederates returning to their Senate seats and, and all of these things that sort of play out in reconstruction. It, the, you know, based on my research, those are things that definitely don't make, things any easier on bringing the country back together and there's definitely this sentiment of, of these former confederates that um you know bitterness or or whatever you want to call it you and they're disenfranchised from voting in, in arkansas and in, in other states and it's just like how do you even you know bring states back together it's like okay well let's go back with the the uh you know it's it's the it's the one it's one nation now it's a country uh with these states yes but the country is better with the the problem with that is that you still have all of these um people in the country that harbor these confederate views you know and th that makes uh you know this this idea of reconstruction uh damn near impossible like if I, you know i go into reconstruction like in five different ways, like social reconstruction, presidential reconstruction, congressional, re you know, and it's like each each approach is like a diff the divisions are there on a on a different um, on a different front, you know. In <clears throat> anyway, that's I mean that's sort of based off riffing on this comment over here, but um, that is uh, I would like to see uh, I would like to see that documentary though because. I haven't really seen any super well done documentaries on reconstruction. So it kind of piqued my right. interest. Yeah, I, I think it's a I think it's a good comment too. And I think that that is a problem with the Civil War filmed by Ken Burns, is that when we reach the latter half of it after the war, 
it pretty much acts like everything was smooth after that point. Everybody became Americans again and started uh, attending soldier reunions. <laughs> like it's high school. Yeah, yeah, you know. So it, it is ignored. And that was one of Eric Foner's problems that he was writing about in his essay was the fact that Burns not, not only just ignored the more uh, other aspects of the war beyond the battlefield, primarily with uh, African-Americans or even other groups like, like women or during the war. That's only mentioned a few times in, in the Civil War or civilians. But the, the, the fact that once, once the war ends, it's like everybody just goes back to being good. And obviously that's not the case. The thing that's weird to me is that, I mean, obviously Reconstruction was not a success because, I mean, how many years later are we here and the Civil War still affects us? Like people are not over it. People who don't even know their relatives that fought in the war, like still cling to this idea that the Confederacy was not wrong, which is to me a huge problem. Well, that, that's the root to the lost cause myth, too, in terms of flipping the narrative to where it's not about winning on the battlefield. It's about whether you were right or not. Well, and then it's like, you know, I think this, I think that's when the state's rights argument really creeps mm -hmm. in because it's like, well, this goes, you know, further back. We've been talking states' rights and secession since, you know, War of 1812 and, and even before and mm -hmm. nullification crisis. Uh, so this, this idea that states can secede and it's like that's the defendable position that gets taken up. And, you know, I've, I've even heard, um, oh, what, what, have you seen that, um, which I'm not huge on this YouTube channel, but that PragerU channel, are you familiar with that? No. They, they were like, uh, it, they have this historian that comes on and does these um, little blurbs. They've had Jordan Peterson on. They have like a little hmm. bit of everybody. Yeah. But uh, he was talking, he's, he was the West Point historian. And he was like uh, talking about the cause of the Civil War, and he was like, "Slavery. Here's, you know, uh, sometimes people say it's states' rights, but states' rights to do what? To right. own slaves." And you know, one thing I think that really I wish, just in my learning about this topic in more depth, that I wish you would see gone into more detail on. Um, <clears throat> on the early front is just like going going more into detail on uh secession like i think people are like okay well all the states seceded you know together around like arkansas had multiple votes before seceding you know our it, several of the states were divided like the the makeup between the border states and how pivotal the states that the border states touched like how they were affected like arkansas and missouri um anyway i i tend to remember uh the ken burns documentary doesn't make even any mention of arkansas seceding yeah i don't think it does 
Yeah, uh, we'll see. We went late May sixth, I believe it was, of sixty one. You have South Carolina in December of eighteen sixty. Right. So, you know, and again, and too, this is another thing. All the Arkansas historians like to say this, like, and I like just came across the actual stat, but. Arkansas did send more troops to fight for the Union than any other southern state aside from Tennessee, but that was only 9,000 soldiers in comparison to 73,000 sent to fight for the Confederacy. Like, right. it sounds good to say that we sent more than, you know, any other southern state, but it, but if you like, you look, it's like, oh, yeah, 9,000 to 73,000. You know, it's... Yeah. I mean, from stuff I've read, and you guys can correct this if I'm wrong, but Arkansas did not have a high percentage of slave owners, right, for the population? That's true. Only about 3% of people were considered a planter, which means they owned 20 or more slaves. Now, you did have a, a percentage of the yeoman sort of middle, a largest group of people, like over 70% of the population, that owned less than 20 slaves. Uh, and you would see, like, with those people, um, if they had, like, a rough harvest, that's when you would see them have to sell their slaves and you would see more families broken up, right? Um, but, yeah, just 3% uh, in Arkansas was, was planter class. Uh, and it varies from state to state. Um, and Arkansas was exploding in 1860 economically, uh, it was like we were late to arrive, but from 1850 to 1860, the transformation uh, in the, co like the cotton boom and everything that was going on is like remarkable to see the stats. Like we were still below like Mississippian numbers, but our growth from 1850 to 1860 in a lot of areas um, just across the river on the Mississippi River uh, exceeded in percentages. Uh, and that is that is interesting uh, to me. I like looking at these. Uh, we, we make uh, all these composite generalizations, I think. That's part of the issue uh, with like documentaries like this, where it's, it's like I was saying with Reconstruction a minute ago, it's just not that easy. Like you can't just talk about battles. You know, you can't just talk about national reconstruction. It's, it, it varies so widely state to state. Slavery varies widely from state to state and um, right. what the experience was like in um, Arkansas was was not always the same uh, in certain topics or themes you would look at in Louisiana or South Carolina but you would see some similarities you know well uh, a common aspect of lost cause mythology is that in the south slavery was dying out or that, you know, eventually we're going to reach a point where they don't need slaves anymore. There's even arguments that the, the soil was deteriorating. Have any of you all heard, heard that before? So that the system wouldn't, wouldn't work. But what's important to note is that in 1860, the, the profits were greater than any year previous to that. So it was still a profitable industry. They were making more money than they were before. And it's important too, because you mentioned Arkansas, is that that portion, the Mississippi River, that area there, 
by itself was one of the richest economies in the world at that time. See, that's, that's why we're good. not gonna we're not gonna talk about enslaved human beings being viewed as property. We're gonna talk about economics. <laughs> you know, like that is yeah. that is another common lost cause um, uh, sort of solution to what we're talking about. Like, what was the Civil War fought over? Well, economics. What I was gonna say a second ago is really how much of a referendum 18, the 1860 election was on slavery and how I think it should be, we should focus more on the territories, how much of a debate it was over the federal government controlling the territories and being controlled of the territories. So you have more people that are free states, uh, more free states in Congress rather. Um, but still you have places like New Jersey that have tried gradual emancipation so there's still slaves in the state at the onset of the Civil War, right? Right? Like there's still issues in the North, and this, uh, you know, is is Arkansas is a state in 1836, but you have territories coming in the Kansas Nebraska Act uh, throughout the 1850s, the Mexican Cession lands, mm -hmm. like that's focused on, but. I just like the, the role of the federal government in managing the territories. Like I, I have learned a lot about that over the last couple of years, learning a lot about Arkansas as during the territorial period. And that's definitely something that the, the slavery debate in the territories and the use of popular sovereignty, like that's what split the democratic party in the 1860 election. Yeah. Well, uh, Kim Burns' Civil War, in a way, kind of suffers from a similar phenomenon. I feel like they leave out some of the more probably boring political stuff. I mean, it's not really boring, but, you know, it wouldn't fascinate the average person or whatever. But just, right, things that you, you, we, we've talked about here, like uh, compromises over time. The slavery thing is just continually being pushed along. Uh, Kim Burns makes really the mistake of not portraying the North as being racist itself. Like, it's almost like everybody in the North is an abolitionist, which we know obviously is not true. But he also ignores like, things like Fugitive Slave Act. Right? So the North is technically, in a way, going along with sort of what is happening in the South in that regard we're having to return fugitive slaves because it's the law yeah really he doesn't he touches on dred scott it's just you know back on the 1860 election you could pull in because um what breckenridge and john bell like he doesn't talk about either of those guys breckenridge being who split the democratic party with stephen a douglas I just, right. you know, that's a, that is very contextual. Like, I think that's important and I don't think he goes into it enough. Um, like just saying something like the democratic party was split. Like that's about the extent that they go into on mm -hmm. it. But, but over the issue of popular sovereignty, like that's, that's really like comments that Stephen A. Douglas had made. And then you have, um, the, the Constitutional Union Party is um, uh, the party of Bell, and it's it's made up of all of these former know-nothings, 
right? right. So you, you bring in this other uh, former Whigs, and, but you bring in this other uh, sort of political party that's catching all of these gangs of New York type people, you know, these, these nativists, uh, these, these uh, you know, uh, people who hate the Irish. And he, he talks about the Irish a little bit, um, different Irish units fighting each other on, uh, I forget what Fredericksburg. Battle it was. Yeah, it was Fredericksburg. Right. Um, but, you know, that's a whole other side then I think, yeah, like, okay, you went into the armies, you're talking about battles, um, but there, there are definitely other uh, avenues that are just completely left out. Um, like, he doesn't go, um, for example, uh, how important of a strategic uh, ally Native Americans and in Indian Territory were. Like, that is some rich history. Mm-hmm. Um the Civil War and the Ozarks in general and how the Indian Territory played into that and the proximity. I mean, I I think I I texted you this the other day, William Tecumseh Sherman accepted surrender. They surrendered Arkansas Post, you know. Right. There's, but let's just talk about Vicksburg, okay? That's, That's the important one. We need to get that one in there. Be sure Vicksburg makes the cut. Yeah. Also, if we want to go kind of with the foundation of the war, the slavery issue and all that. I also think it was interesting that Burns didn't even drop in a, a, even a soundbite, a blurb or anything about like the Nat Turner revolt Ooh, yeah. or uh, even the Haitian revolution and, and how that really got people to thinking about the, the slavery situation. Instead, yeah, it's yeah, like there's just a minor remark that he yeah. makes on paranoia. Oh, it's oh, it's about John Brown. Right, right, exactly. Or, or it's either John Brown or whenever Elijah P. Lovejoy, a white man, a white journalist, gets killed over his abolitionist views. They could have gone way, you know, just again. Okay, let's assume this. 40, there's 40 million people. Most of them did not have, um, you know, a post high school uh involvement with the civil war they didn't read books and they're they're hearing all this for the first time like it's that's the problem is is how you're just gonna you're gonna you're gonna hear about abolition and you're not gonna like i might say common people don't know what the term abolition means a lot of people will Mm -hmm. but if you just kind of gloss over it's like okay well let's go into detail on what the abolition movement was Let's talk about slave insurrections. Let's talk about this paranoia in a little bit. They, I mean, you're 100% right. They could have gone way more into detail on that. Uh, and they just expanded. There's a whole bunch of topics that you they, they're just not unpacked in the documentary. Yeah, well, I mean, we can maybe blame some of that on time constraints. But then again, the documentary is almost 12 hours long. So, Well, what would you take out to fit in some of these things? whole lot of Shelby foot. You know, it, no. at least, you, you know, uh, 37 minutes of Shelby foot. <laughs> you know, we, we, over, over these episodes, we, we have dropped all kinds of things on, on Shelby foot. Right. I mean, like, like this has been like kind of a running gag for us. Always making fun of Shelby foot. He's not even and, here to defend himself. Right. I mean, he, he passed away in 2005. 
but um <laughs> like he deserves it though like this guy said before he died he said he wanted to fight for the confederate exactly just want to throw that out there okay <laughs> Hear me out here, and I know it's going to sound weird, right? Because, I mean, no, I'm not condoning anything that he said, did, whatever. You know, that's on him. But, Brian, in, in our second podcast, you asked this question about whether there were historians that were regionally based uh, who were maybe kind of perpetuating this lost cause thing. And I think Shelby Foote is a perfect example of that. Even though, I mean, we've already established he's not a historian, he's an author, but he's still influential. I mean, this documentary turned him into a breakout star. He was on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. He was on C-SPAN for years after this with anything involving the Civil War. But Shelby Foote is a product of a South raised on the lost cause myth. He was born in 1916 in Mississippi. He spent time in Mobile, Alabama. But what, what, what I'm saying is, is that he's a product of this lost cause mythos, this growing up in this Jim Crow dominated society. So I'm not condoning what he's saying but i'm trying to add some degree of context to maybe why is he saying what he's saying because it's I a sort of it, male dominated point of view well, i find it interesting that he kind of reflects like the ideas that confederate soldiers had at the time like we were talking about how arkansas didn't have a ton of slave owners but obviously a lot of men fought for the confederacy even though they didn't own slaves, but they had this weird like sense of having loyalty to their state and having loyalty to their region. Shelby Foote has a, or had that exact same idea that like, I'm from the South, I will stand with them no matter what. And Robert E. Lee had the same idea about Virginia. His country. Which is weird to me. <laughs> Like, I like Arkansas. I'm not going to go fight to the death for it. Well, maybe this also has to deal with a time period, too, where land had more meaning. Just the, the I, instead of more abstract concepts of freedom and re, reunification. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. Well, I think Arkansas still has that kind of, I mean, I've seen um murder shows about people killing other their neighbors over land disputes <laughs> well you know um sidebar on that <clears throat> based on my research and re reading a couple of books and in articles both on the topic and also watching the crucible every semester in my class right daniel day lewis wine on a rider um the Salem witch trials largely were rooted in that, like, uh, or not largely, but there were multiple instances of like, look, this dude's a witch and I'm going to get his land after you put him to death. And I've been trying to get his yeah. land for some time now, and this is going to be the way that I'm going to be able to leverage it. Like that definitely went on. Um, and you know, I think too, uh, there's, 
I was reading, a, this is from an Arkansan, um, but it was like, there was, for a while, there's, you know, there's this, always these romantic views from soldiers of uh, going off to fight, they haven't been away from home and stuff, but there's also this view reported on across the state of, they didn't really equate, a lot of common people didn't equate fighting and succession together. Right, like, oh, we're gonna secede, and then there won't be fighting. But then, when there was fighting, uh, they were like, hey, like a lot of the general populace, and that's why Arkansas, you know, in in other southern states too, were were very divided on the issue, particularly northwest Arkansas. Um, but you know, I think when you look at southern states, and and this is something that could have been in the documentary more, and I think just doing less on people and battles uh, across the board would allow you to to go into more detail on, on topics such as that but yeah I think a big mistake of and I mean I I honestly love this documentary I do I grew up on this thing I, I really did but is 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 yeah this focus on war conflict, as, as kind of like a, a coming of age type thing that uh, instead of being horrified by war, we have this weird macabre fascination with uh, the romanticism of, of, of the conflict, despite the fact that we have in, in, in the documentary itself, all these gory images of these bodies strewn across battlefields, horses mutilated, right? We have all this, but instead you have in the first episode, the narrator describing the war as for the leaders and our common foot soldiers alike as the greatest adventure of their lives. Adventure, not experience, adventure. Well, at and to me, I feel that that's a bit demeaning. At, at one point, I believe, that, if I'm not mistaken, because I've watched, I've watched like the first four episodes. Like I even started the third, the first episode for a third time through today. But it, if I'm not mistaken, at some point, maybe in episode five, um, he refer the narrator refers to Lee's army as one of the greatest armies the world had ever seen. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Greatest losers. That's, that's really going over. But completing this thought a minute ago, you know, it's really because of uh, the armies occupying states like Arkansas in the South. You had the, the the Federals there and and the the Confederacy with both their armies. You have guerrilla warfare, bandits. Uh, you know these militia units. <clears throat> you have people fighting for both sides. And really, the civilians, the populace in, in Arkansas particularly, suffers drastically because the states can't support these two occupying armies right. and the populace. And, you know, people don't ever really want to talk about it. I even brought this up to a historian one time talking about the Union Army carrying out total war in Arkansas and... Sherman and so on, they're like, yeah, well, that wasn't like what 
the Confederacy did. And I'm like, look, I'm not saying that anything other than people had their houses burned down and lost everything they owned and had their loved ones killed by both sides. Right? Like, right. that's, you know, and that is like total war. Like, in Arkansas, total war and scorched earth were going on at the same time. You know, that's the sort of stuff I would like to, like, we talk about social history. And you can say this, like, the Civil War was bad for the people of uh, the southern states. Like, just the normal people like us, they were arguably impacted the, the most. They were strained the most next to people dying on the battlefield, you know. And, and think, like, the trauma uh, that those people had to carry. This, too, keeps coming up. I've been talking to Cora about this. You mentioned this a second ago, Thurman, is animals. Like, some of the primary sources I've come across, like, and this is in the documentary a little bit, like, soldiers commenting on seeing mutilated bodies and it not bothering them anymore, right? I've, I, so there's a Arkansas soldier account I was reading talking about seeing these mules um, had, there was a, not even good, but there's a story with a fire and some mules and like the way that this soldier was talking about that versus the battle that he was just at, you know, like it just, the contrast, it was like he had been, you could tell he's kind of battle hardened but it was still like super messed with him what he saw these animals go through, right? And it's that sort of stuff on the battlefield, like uh, horses getting hit with cannon, different things. It's like a, a sidebar that comes up repeatedly, you know, it is, uh, and it, that's just really glossed over. Like, I don't really see a lot of right. people commentating on the amount of, you mentioned a minute ago, the amount of animals uh, that you would see on a battlefield that were just. Yeah, That's like, cool. oh, go ahead, Jules. Go I ahead. was going to say, like, the interesting thing to me with Ken Burns' Civil War is that, like, the more human moments he chooses to focus on are usually weird stories from Shelby Foote about what the soldiers were eating or Stonewall Jackson sucking on lemons or whatever. But to me, like, Brian, you're right. Like, the interesting thing is these little things that we didn't, we don't really know a lot about with just how it affected people's normal lives. And, you know, even I, me and Thurman have talked about this before, especially with Arkansas, where the state was divided, that there were people who went to war because they were afraid of being hung by their own, like, statesmen. So they didn't really go willingly, but they had to go. And to me, like, that's an interesting thing that just gets completely forgotten because they, he chooses to focus on the battles instead. Right. Does he go into the draft? He does in one of the later episodes, I think. Maybe. Yeah, he talks about the draft rise. Yes. Well, that's a whole, that's exactly, I think, what Julie's saying is that's connected to this whole other topic that he could have gone into more detail on. Like, yeah, why are you, because you're down here. Like Shelby Foote, he's like, like mm. two different times in the documentary, he's like the Northern invader, you, you know, like talking about uh, the perspective of a soldier, like uh, interacting with the North. Well, I, I just feel like he tends to focus on 
this larger overall, yeah, battlefield picture too much when, right, there was a war at home, right? I, I, I mean, and, and once again, unfortunately, we're ignoring the, the, the African-American aspects of it, which, I mean, that's huge. But also, right, he's ignoring the civilian population. The only real instance I can think of, I mean, he has some things strewn throughout there, but he talks maybe about bread riots in Richmond and how Jefferson Davis suspends like this saintly figure to throw money out there to everybody. Hey, stop what you're doing. I will help you. You know, but how many people were suffering from fam from famine, from from disease, from violence, bushwhackers, jayhawkers, Quantrails raiders, and right, and, and just the pain of losing loved ones or not knowing what's going on with them out there. You guys need to read Little Women. <laughs> that's exactly like, and that yeah, that's something you mentioned like in the documentary it's framed as going on the adventures of their lives right. and you read something like little women which is about four sisters growing up during this time period while their dad is at war and they have that constant fear of what's going to happen to him and also dealing with food shortages and things like that so you know once again i guess that's not as fun as stonewall jackson and his holding his hand up at whatever height. But to me, like that is more interesting than this stupid lost cause nonsense. Or like, uh, and, and this, this is a unionist perspective, but Battle of Gettysburg, I, I mean, they mentioned Dan Sickles, the guy who gets his leg blown off by a cannonball, right? And it's just like kind of a trivial, funny type story. He's just smoking a cigar as they're hauling him back. You know, just calmly, just like, hey, look, I can take this. You know, but and, and, and then they, they juxtapose other images. Like there's this one absolutely gruesome, horrific shot of this Union soldier who just looks like his torso is just shredded. And it zooms in on like a severed arm and forearm that's like laying right in front of him. It's like, Ugh, you know, like. It's not like, why are we focusing on these like silly anecdotal things instead of the, the, the true horror? Well, yeah, horror. even imagine. Oh, go ahead, Jules. No, you go ahead. Well, there's a quote too when they're talking about Pickett's charge. Uh, there's a firsthand source, a, a union guy who says when they cannonade Pickett's charge, that into the air. <laughs> like, no. wow. Yeah. What'd you say? Huh? You froze, you froze at like your most passionate point. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, but, but right, right. The guy's describing the Pickett's charge, this, this line of these Confederates just getting cannonaded by artillery and just in an explosion. Guns, knapsacks, arms, heads go flying into the air. It's like, wow. But instead, we're focused more on Jeb Stewart and his father-in-law. <laughs> well, I was thinking, too, even, you know, the viewpoint of the surgeons and all the, the medical team having to do these amputations and everything else. Like, I, that must have been horrifying. 
Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that they, there's not more studies on the psychological impact of some of this stuff. And if if you read, especially Walt Whitman, he was, and I mean, he's they feature him in the documentary. They call him the sometimes poet, whatever that means. What? But <laughs> yeah, they do. They refer him as sometimes poet Walt Whitman. Wasn't he always the poet? <laughs> well, I think it's because they're they're just poking fun at the fact that he had a variety of jobs. Like he was a journalist, he was a teacher, he was a theater critic at one point. He, he's all American. Walt Whitman, all American. Uncle Walt. <laughs> Isn't that Disney? Disney? Uncle uh, Walt. What, um, well, I mean, for us, it probably is in the nineteenth century. century. Okay, Robin yeah. Robin Williams calls him a dead poet society. <laughs> But um, Walt Whitman worked as a, as a nurse or an orderly in Washington, D.C., in the hospitals there, because his brother, who uh, I believe was wounded. But you really get, like, some insight into what he's seeing. And, I mean, that, that's featured in the documentary. They have some of because, well, you know, Walt Whitman, he's a writer. He's a poet. You know, he really knows how to flower these things up, make them read real well. But if you look at, at, at his other writings, I mean, he talks about the impact, the mental impact of it, of, of seeing these shattered men. Who do you, like, who are the, um, like, big authors that are coming out of the Civil War? Because, you know, I know, like, the lost generation is a big thing and how World War One, even two like affected writing at the time and stuff you see in Hemingway, even Lord of the Rings is inspired by both wars. So is there any, like, like what writing is inspired from people who were in the civil war? I'm not sure. I believe did, did Melville was around. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. know if he commented on, um, because they cite, Ken Burns, throughout the, the documentary, they cite a couple of different uh, authors. But that is a, that is a good, good question. Yeah, I don't have a definitive answer for that. Was, you know, Thoreau was around during the Mexican-American right. War, but he did yeah, that was in 1862. Um, Hawthorne died in 64, so during the war, but... <clears throat> Yeah, that would be interesting to just kind of do a study on who wrote about it after the fact that was 40 at the time, you know? Um, yeah, that, um, that, that topic definitely has some legs. Let's see. Yeah, I'm just wondering if there's a similar disillusionment that showed up in writing that we see after other wars, or if it was something entirely different well from a historian uh, historian perspective it was about re-sewing re the nation back together um i remember reading in historiography uh peter novick's this noble dream has a whole section that's devoted to how the united states tried to repair the narrative after the civil war which is where we get the lost cause from. But that, that historians at that point were already at work with, or at work trying to 
bring the union back together to give some idea cause behind the war, even if that may have not been entirely truthful. But it was necessary for us to move on as a country. Well, and yeah, I mean, it's a great point. I think that there that there has to be this process of ongoing process, really in all history, but on this topic of revisionism. You know, imagine trying to talk about this 20 years after it happened, even, you know, when there's a, a massive amount of the population is still alive that was involved, perhaps, you know, you're, you're fighting age men uh, 20 years after the conflict or, or possibly in politics. Uh, locally or in or sheriffs and in, in, in all as in all roles in society you know and that's the that's the sort of the social uh, aspects of reconstruction you know uh, but you know I think too that there's you know all these battlefield stories but you know there's not necessarily with the Civil War but you take something like in with the Civil War too but you take something like a lane uh, well we're not going to call that a massacre, right? Or, um, oh, the Battle of Poison Spring. We're not going to call that a massacre. Like mm -hmm. atrocities. Like mm -hmm. that's something that's not really being dealt with. And through this process of revision, I think these things uh, that, are, that are being talked about surrounding this topic are, are an overall process of revision. You know, based off my research on into the late 80s, in the South, the lost cause was very prevalent in being taught in um, schools, right? Elementary, um, junior high, high school. So if that's the case, that means, all right, so my parents got out in the later 70s and the whole couple of generations after that, you know, that are, that are you know, how long does it take to sort of sort this out? And, and is Ken Burns' Civil War coming out in 1990 on the tail end of that? You know, really, it's like, okay, well, that's on the front end, I think, of a lot of this process of revision where you get this narrative out of the curriculum. I mean, you look at it in, in 1990, the, the lost cause uh, prevalence in, in textbooks is definitely not there like it was in uh, 1930. I remember reading a, an Arkansas textbook last year talking about how much slaves love singing in the fields and stuff. And it was great. It was they they enjoyed themselves. Okay, they, they sang their songs and um, they were very happy. Like that was that was what it said in a nutshell. So that's 1930. So that's lost uh, sort of, you know, a generation of this lost cause narrative. Um, but, you know, I think now we're seeing it, it gets manifested in these ways that are indefensible, like states' rights, economics, et cetera, where it's like it all goes back to slavery, right? Like every common lost cause, like, yeah, states' rights do what? Like, yeah, yeah. Slavery was economically beneficial because of free labor, right? Like, mm -hmm. duh. It, but, you know, you it's like these are these old things that people, like, they heard that. That was their, their, um, 
you know, their source of knowledge. Like when they received it was, I think, in like 1985 at Clarksville High School, they heard, I don't know who was teaching at that time, all right? Maybe they're still around. But that's what I'm talking about it is, you know, <clears throat> you get that just kind of woven in and then you get people that they go work at like a Walmart DC or something and they don't read books. They don't listen to audio books. They, they might listen to some podcasts, but it's a lot of their online uh, interactions are confirmation bias. So you, you see this social perpetuation of this, uh, this issue of, of the lost cause. And the Black says this, it's like, if anything, this, the New South is an idea, is a continuation, you know, on into the civil rights. And it's like, so if you're saying, okay, so post-Civil War, early New South's a continuation, what about later New South? You know, and how does that lost cause narrative still being perpetuated in 1990 to 40 million people, um, you know, how does that play a role? Right. I think that's very well said. Yeah, I, you know, I, I agree with that. I also want to just point out our most recent comment down here. I think that's a very good point. Okay. Uh, more emphasis on adventures, excitement, noble causes, uh, far better recruitment technique. Oh, yeah. yeah. So point taken. I mean, right. That's 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 a very good point. I, and I I agree with that. I just. Uh, you know, you, you you were talking, Brian, about how we, we're, we're maybe getting like 20 years after the war, looking back, like from a veteran's standpoint or whatever. Well, the perfect example of that that is used throughout Ken Burns' documentary is uh, Sam Watkins' book, uh, Company H. Right. Which because he was in the Army of the Tennessee and he was just a private and a corporal. And uh, but that book was written 20 years plus after the end of the Civil War. But it's presented in the Civil War contemporaneous with the other primary materials like the diaries, uh, journals, correspondence. So I don't know if that's a bit. Uh, I mean, is, is, is that is that a good or bad thing? Because we have 20 years to color somebody's viewpoint, but we're inserting it back? Yeah. No, you know, that I mean, there's just no context to it, is what I'm saying. It would, you know, it'd be fine if, okay, well, 20 years later, you know, Private or Corporal Sam Watkins had this to say about this specific battle. But it's it's not presented in that fashion. Yeah, there, there definitely, I think, uh, could be a way better balance of, of sources. I will say this. Um, I do like uh, one, a book that I've just recently started, um, The Education of Henry Adams, mm -hmm. which Henry Adams is quoted yes. throughout. And then, too, I haven't started this one yet. Like, I've kind of skimmed it and read reviews on it, but uh, uh, that French commentary on the United States, um, Democracy, Democracy in America. America. Right. Yeah. Alexis de Tocqueville. Yeah. 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 But right. you know, I, do, I, I do like how those are woven in, like, uh, because those to me, like that, those come up when I'm teaching Annabellum era U.S. history. Right. Woods actually just turned me on to the education of Henry Adams. 
But Henry Adams is, um, I believe it's John Quincy Adams' grandson. And he provide he has just uh, like a lot of like late antebellum commentary. Right. Yeah, particularly on technology uh, and just sort of like just how things socially are just changing at a rapid pace. Uh, so it, it, I'll let you know when I get finished with it. It's a, one that Woods just turned me on to. He had just, just gone through it. Okay, cool. Um, since we're covering like the first, was it five, first five episodes? Yeah, right. roughly. I said the Gettysburg, which is kind of, I think that's like four and a the, half in or something like the, that. It's the, turning, like, the turning point of the war. Or at least that's as it's presented. It's always presented that way. It's always presented as, you know, the point where everything went bad for the cell. <laughs> Do you disagree with that? Do you think it's not the turning point? No, but I, I think from the other materials that we've studied, as, as I've said, it almost makes it seem like just the Confederacy made one big blunder and it was just all downhill from there, but it didn't all just pivot on that one battle. Yeah, 1864 in Arkansas, like everything went way better for the Union in Arkansas until 1864, until they mm -hmm. like took over Little Rock. Like that was the worst year. There's just some blunders, but... Um, yeah, what's too like this is the sort of stuff that I think we're really hitting on. I'm sure both of you have seen that meme where it's like the the guys like, oh oh, give me an ambulance, yeah, but not for me. <laughs> like it's like the 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 Union, the Confederacy. Like it's like 1864. It's like not for me, but it's like also not in every state. Like like the overall conflict started to turn. Like we just we we get sort of given these uh you know the answers to these questions i think in these composite narratives like for example I, the metaphor i use is like the the whole uh nativity story everybody knows is not in any single one of the gospels mm -hmm. it's what people have in their mind the whole story the star the 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 wise men the, the shepherds it's it's all woven from three different gospels right mm -hmm. like so i think we we look at the civil war in that regard too or, or try uh, attempt to or lump things in in that way and i i, I kind of noticed that a little bit in this documentary you know um where, where it's like we're in just in history telling like well after gettysburg but it's like man lee was not like how long was it at what when was the signing at appomattox what was the date of that that was in april 60, 64 1865 65 65 rather yeah see so like yeah i mean 64 like the wilderness campaign right that's a that was a long uh a long Which, time after gettysburg right if and in the second part of this if we really want to get into the horrors of war that's that 1864 1865 period where uh, i mean it just total war at that point well, but, total war and scorched earth going on in several states. Like you have the federal army carrying out total war, and then you have the Confederacy poisoning the wells, making sure that they don't get, like there's a Thomas Hyman in Arkansas has like got these quotes that like making sure, make sure people don't get a single uh, kernel of corn. Like mm -hmm. just, 
burn everything. And, you know, like, at the cost of, again, like, you know, people like us starving to death, right? Just like everyday people just trying to, you know, get by, enjoy life. Like, you know, it's it's definitely not the, the planners and the politicians and um, that, that are feeling the worst of this. It's, uh, and I'm sure some of them were, but uh, it's yeah. the it's the common citizen. I mean, the Confederacy. Uh, again, Marie says this, uh, who just got her PhD, um, is that the Confederacy was bad for every everybody in Arkansas because Arkansas joined the Confederacy, and really uh, that's what led uh, you know people from Arkansas fighting on both sides against each other at battles like Wilson's Creek in Missouri and in places in the state as well. But the Cherokee, the five civilized tribes, native tribes in general, same story. Terrible for them. Like the outcome uh, post-Civil War of how people were dealt with that joined the Confederacy um, was not good. You know, it it was terrible for those people that chose that. Uh, and led to all these social issues for them getting their property taken or being disenfranchised from voting. And that just leads to more backlash and reaction. Again, you know, sitting here thinking about this, and I know we said PBS uh, already came out with one, but if Ken Burns really wanted to do something, it might would be better for him to do a documentary on the Reconstruction and deal with the unpack the lost cause myth and unpack reconstruction, you know, and talk about because you can start sixty four in Arkansas for reconstruction, right? Or even do a documentary on the lost cause itself. Yeah, which based on some of his comments, uh, recent comments, where you know his hair is extra on point, we'll just <laughs> put it at that. All right, um, it's it really. Based off what he says in, like, I mean, uh, he was on one of the, the Comos, or uh, I forget who it was was interviewing him. Uh, it was one of the New York and New Jersey guys. Uh, and he just, like, kept cutting the guy off, was like, no, listen to what I'm trying to say. This is terrible. Like, just, like, like cutting off the interviewer repeatedly, like, really impassioned. And I'm like, either you're this way because of the flat, because you got people in Arkansas doing podcasts about you sanctioning this Ken Burns or I mean I I could he's got to have some regrets there I don't know I haven't seen or read anything if he's thinking about adding or redoing there are massive calls I sent you several articles Thurman mm-hmm. on just people just, this is a common narrative about how people view in this uh Shelby Foot sort of narrative you know so well I, I think it's 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 fascinating how in the span of 25, 30 years, Shelby Foote went from Civil War media darling to the sort of the bane of this whole thing. Like, like well, he's the, the butt of the joke now. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. But it, did you say the scrappy? Out. Yeah, I did. Yeah, that TV tropes. That's. He's well, the scrappy do of yeah. Ken Burns Civil War. At this point, yes. But if you went back to 1990, 1991, I mean, the guy was everywhere. He was huge. Yeah. 
And oh, um, I mean, there's there's a lot of footage of him on YouTube. I didn't find right. any of it I wanted to watch. <laughs> um, but I mean, and there's a lot of commentary out there on uh, Shelby Foot, and uh, and I think it, part of it is like you said, with screen time, and and two, the the way his screen time is placed, like. He is one of the first people you see in most of the episodes. He is the person you see it seemingly the most uh, right. in, in the episodes. And a more balanced approach, but again, that's, I guess, where the entertainment factor uh, comes in right. a bit, you know, is, well, uh, he sounds better than the other talking heads. Right. And I mean, this is another aspect we didn't really touch it. I mean, we kind of did, but like the hero worship specifically of the Confederate side. I mean, that's Shelby foot. Julie, you sent me that quote verbatim from him talking about Jefferson Davis. I don't remember it exactly but where he was just fawning over Jefferson Davis as just being this. Well, yeah. He was saying he was generous and, this right. outgoing, like upstanding man, and is saying that Jefferson Davis is usually portrayed as not, I guess, being different of, of not being like that. But he's like, in my research, he's very outgoing, he's very generous. I'm just like, you're talking about a guy who tried to keep slavery going. Like, <laughs> why does right. this not cross through his mind of like? this person was extremely flawed and should not be worshipped. Well, in his narrative book, <laughs> he describes Jefferson Davis as, this is talking about Je Jefferson Davis, as perhaps the best informed, probably the best educated, and certainly the most intellectual man in the Senate. This is a guy who was saying that African-Americans were nowhere on the same level as white people. When he's about That's to be the commander-in-chief of one of the greatest armies the world has ever known. Have you heard their rebel yell? You can't even replicate it unless there's a Union army on the battlefield. It's sort of like a banshee squall with a, some sort of a yip in there. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> Like, I, I also like it's it's a weird flex. It really is because he meant, well, well the the union had kind of a, a hurrah, but no, listen to this. You know, so the rebel yell was so much more than that. You know, it's it's like come on, man. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely in the documentary, and I mean, it's not just Shelby Foot, but there is this weird hero worship of the confederacy common lost cause thing i just i also like how they go from this hero worship to then talking about grant and it's like he was an alcoholic that failed at everything right right and and and, and sherman is crazy he's melancholic he just seems like a jerk yeah right i mean and for the record like i don't none of these guys with today's standards are good people <laughs> because they all were racist, whether it's to black people or to native Americans. So yeah. I don't really think any of them should be worshiped. 
And yet this documentary, like it's all the Confederate soldiers who are treated as legends or gods, gods and generals. You know, yeah. I would say like it, it really surprises me how much time is spent on Nathan Bedford Forrest. Like I don't talk about that guy at all during the Civil War <laughs> portion of my class. I mention him in Arkansas history when I get into Reconstruction in the Klan. Like, I don't go into any of his exploits. I don't recall ever really reading in any of my textbooks or, like, it's not in my notes. Like, there's a reason I don't go into him. It's like, I have all my notes from every class I ever took, and mm. nobody else goes over him either. But what about the Fort Pillow Massacre? Well, yeah. I mean, I have notes on, but I don't go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I do make mention of him there. Yeah, yeah. I just like if you're gonna but talk like about passing, something, like oh, for it's just like a passing remark. I don't even know if I go into the the commanders there. Usually, I don't gloss. Like I talk about Lee and Jackson a little bit, Grant and Sherman, but I really don't go into people. I go more into. Uh, the political figures and abolitionists. It just depends on what, what point of the narrative we're talking about on this earlier stuff. But, like, I just really surprised. Like, all the way through Gettysburg, you have Jeb Stewart, you got uh, Old Pete, Longstreet, um, who else? Uh, Stonewall. Yeah, old, old Blue Light. Because <laughs> his eyes lit up and bow. Yeah, in the names that they called uh, Robert E. Lee, and then like like Shelby Foote at some point in in the series is just like referred to him as that, like one of the nick, like one of the least common nicknames for Robert E. Lee. And I was like, like he talks about he talks about these people like like they're his his kin, you know. That's part of the yeah, charm. like he knew them. Yeah, that's that's part of the charm though. But well, yeah, I mean going back to like the hero worship thing there is almost this weird quasi religious thing to how 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 they hold these people up especially in the lost cause thing and that's why i'm gonna gonna read read this book because it's great uh, baptized in blood oh yeah hey shout yeah. out to mccool yeah definitely great book he great. studied with that guy yeah yeah, yeah. uh charles reagan wilson Great book, published in 1980. But I wanted to read a passage from here because I thought it was interesting in, in terms of how these Confederate leaders were in the civic religion of the South sort of elevated to this almost spiritual level. But this involves um, like the images, Confederate imagery, specifically of the generals, but about Robert E. Lee's uh, picture and it says Lee's birthday, January 19th, became a holiday throughout the South, and ceremonies honoring his birth frequently occurred in the schools. Lee's picture on the wall was the center, the altar for the event. The effect of these images could be seen in an anecdote concerning Father Abram Ryan, the poet priest who wrote elegies about the Confederacy. He saw his young niece standing before a painting of the death of Christ. And he asked her if he knew who the evil men were who had crucified her Lord. Instantly, she replied, oh, yes, I know, she said, the Yankees. 
Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that I, when I read that, I was like, like instant jaw drop. I'm like, wow. Well, that's why. Like, I think when we talk about the second half of the documentary, like we also need to talk about how do we move on from this. It's since it's been over 150 years and it's still an issue and there's still misinformation and it's become this nostalgia thing, even though it is, we are generations removed from the event. Like, how do we move on? Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's it. That's the issue. You know, that's the question that keeps coming up is uh i've i've kind of like stared that question in the face over the last couple of years multiple times on not just dealing with the civil war but you know social issues in our country um te racial tensions uh you know systemic issues with with racism and I mean, we've seen we've seen a lot of that recently, but it's like we're just seeing, um, I think, uh, you know, the tip of the iceberg on a lot of this stuff. And, and we've been doing podcasts and digging and, and trying to think critically and analyze this uh, is is a topic of, OK, how does a country move? how does how does how does a group of states be a nation like because it's mm -hmm. i think term and i were talking about this maybe when you got cut off but um this sort of idea that people were mad at lincoln about is like okay well we're a nation now um we're not talking about the south anymore uh we're not talking about states rights anymore it's one thing the united states that's it you know and I, I think that um, it, it's remarkable to me that how many people cling to um, these other narratives that you got to think like, well, yeah, we're, you know, over 150 years since the outbreak, but they were, you know, people from our parents' generations were 100 years and look how they're, you know, many people from that generation are clinging on to this false narrative of economics and states' rights and you know, let's let's not go into the eighty plus mentions of slavery and the secession letters of the eleven southern states. Right. I, I, I feel that another sort of maybe it's inadvertent with with Lost Cause narrative and with the Civil War film by Ken Burns, is that often the North is referred to as invaders. Often. It it happens quite frequently. And also I, I don't remember if I heard this correctly or not, but did they mention, or did, did they claim that Lee never owned slaves? I think, or, no, or were, were they I just saying he was a, against the practice? There, well, there was, there was some favorable comments. I'll try and find them before our next, but they, they glossed, uh, there's a, the narrator glossed over something. It was kind of like um, in gods and generals where it's like, you know we're about to free the slaves right like that's not what this is about we're gonna free you guys uh it was kind of like that like he knew it was on its way out like you know this like where he was like basically if my memory calls me just like he viewed the national issue as okay yeah uh it was i'm not sympathetic toward but yet he owned slaves and that was glossed over right 
uh, like I think that's yeah. uh, part of it. Like uh, it, I, I forget where I was. I was listening to again um, or reading about him. Just like I would have his slaves beaten and then force their for uh, would have their backs washed in brine, or yeah. would beat him himself. Mm-hmm. Right. right, but um, so, so technically, technically, Confederate leadership—they're all good Christians. They're they're geniuses in battle. Top of their class at West Point. Yeah, top of right. Right, exactly. And the union union. Gets Custer. Okay, we know what so, happened to him. So then, then our, our union leaders. Uh, so Grant is just a loser and a drunkard, and Sherman is apparently mentally unstable. And and just just a real crumudgeon type guy, and Lincoln is surrounded by ineptness, and that's why he can't get anything done. Oh, don't right, McClellan, but, he's really oh, a southern yeah. sympathizer who's trying to take <laughs> yeah. and Napoleon also also Napoleon, and he's just trying to win the presidency in '64. Right, right, that's true. That the 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 letters, the McClellan letters in there are pretty funny actually like it seemed like a real real friendly guy yeah <laughs> well toward no, lincoln and, and what what was the deal with the jab they put in with with lincoln with with he he courted mary todd whose father owned slaves yeah you know? <laughs> did, did, did else catch that like saying that hey, super they were doing it too, you know which i mean is true <laughs> But I, I didn't feel like, like in, a, in a way it was just to try to absolve or exonerate. Well, hey, these other people here are owning slaves, but they're great generals and great Christians. I know? think in trying to like present a very balanced view of the Civil War, yeah. like Ken Burns just went too far. So the balance tipped into lost cause nonsense <laughs> and all like, and I get it. Like, I don't think we should worship the north i don't think we should look at their generals or lincoln as being this like infallible person but at the same time like at least like be balanced with the other side like the south was wrong they're racist ideas and this should be the focus for them and not the weird shelby foot fun story time uncle shelby Dude, I they, like they, there's just this one story, and I, I I think it's in the first episode, but I like it just he's he's like so, somebody's like telling Stonewall Jackson some terrible news, and he's just like eating a peach, you know. And then it like zooms like there's several scenes where it, like he Shelby Foot tells a story, and it like zooms in on his face, and he's like, <laughs> like it like, gets smiles, really close. Like, you, did you guys hear what I just said? That was so great. Like just like he's like. Yeah. Well, it's like the story he tells about the Confederate picket or whatever with the owl. Like, what What does that add to anything? It's me, sir. John Albert, a friend of yours. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, I don't know what this adds to anything, really, but it's there, you know? And I like how on the Blu-ray of the Civil War, filmed by Kim Burns, it has the complete interviews. That's one of the special oh, wow. features. The wow. complete Shelby Foot interviews. 
But maybe I wanted to see somebody else. Dude, hey, I wonder, I bet it would be an issue. I was going to say, I wonder if we could do, okay, we could do it in the studio. Like a, um, uh, like a director's commentary. Like we listen to Shelby Foot's interviews. Riff. And, 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 and Shelby Foot. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Mystery <laughs> Science <laughs> Theater 3000. That's what it is. And, you know, I'll say, like, I worked as a journalist for a short short amount of time. And I totally understand, like, when you find someone that's giving you, like, gold quotes, you're like, okay, this is the entertainment. Right. Put it to print. Here we go. But, like, 45 minutes to an hour of this guy, <laughs> that's, that's too much. Right. Well, I mean, that's what I was saying, like, initially, like, you have Barbara Fields, who's really, really qualified to talk about this type of stuff. And you have Ed Barry's, who, if if you read up about him, like his career is amazing. The guy discovered a sunken gunboat outside of Vicksburg that had been buried in the silt for like 100 years. I mean, wow. that's pretty cool, right? <laughs> yeah. Using historical research. Well, I mean, that's how we found um, Troy. And like virtually every, uh, oh, I, I was, uh, we could do an Arkansas Unraveled about this someday. What, uh, let's see what, I just, I've never read the whole book. This is like a series of books, but I finished it today. Lost Minds and Buried Treasures of Arkansas. Yeah. It's actually really cool because it's got some Civil War history in there, some Jesse James history, yeah. Spanish silver mines. Um, just a really cool, but it's it, basically a guy just went around and talked to a bunch of people and listened to their tales. And each chapter is like a little bitty story. There's like 30 of them though. Yeah. There's supposed to be a treasure story with P Ridge, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, th I think it involves some union strong boxes of gold that disappeared out old telegraph road or something like that. I've heard about that before, but. We're going off topic. Yeah. Well, hey, so um, let's uh, let's wrap this one up and let's uh, plan when let's do the other the, the next one soon. And then too, I really because I've been going down a Civil War rabbit hole and guerrilla warfare, we gotta watch Josie Wales and do that one soon. I would uh, at least I would like to because I haven't I really I haven't seen the outlaw Josie Wales since I knew shit about the Civil War. Uh, so. <laughs> I want to go watch it because it, it's uh, it's been coming up uh, in this as a side note. So um, I would be down to do that as an episode. And um, man, there was something else Civil War related I was thinking about. I mean, we 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 could do that because I mean that's like post Civil War too. So that ties into the Reconstruction stuff as well. So you know, it involve a little bit of fiction and with a little bit of actual history and. I mean, you know, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Right but on. okay. So uh, kind of drawing everything together here. So the first five episodes of Ken Burns, the civil war, do you think they are successful or not? Julie. <laughs> I feel like I probably like it the least out of this group. Um, it's good. I I think you have to question like what exactly was the goal of the documentary. 
if it's to educate about the Civil War, it does do that for the most part. Um, but for me, there's there's too much of the South being good guys. Yeah, now there, there's some great historical facts presented. Um, all the stuff you said in the beginning, Thurman, like the production value of like the Ken Burns effect, like the zooming in on the arm and the, the, the violin and you know there's so which, many which, which that writers. song ashok and farewell the theme was not written during the civil war that was written during the 1970s <laughs> yeah i know that's a fact few people because like you hear it and you're like man that sounds like it's definitely from that era but it's not but go ahead brian go ahead well that's you know again uh, like listening to it i was like um because sometimes on the second and third times through, I would just like put it in my AirPods while I was sitting in the studio or, or driving or whatever. Because uh, Ken Burns documentaries, you can kind of do that with. But, you know, there's a lot of entertainment value there, even just listening to it the, from the narrators and everything else. And it, I was like, in going back through it, I was like, okay, well, there's some great good content here. I would add this to maybe my notes. I should... I should write, but it's like the things I was wanting to finding myself wanting to add into my notes or things to do with the stuff that we've commented on wanting more of, right? Mm -hmm. Like the conditions of, of the slave quarters or, um, you know, battlefield experiences that are not rom romanticized that, uh, uh, really, you know, make you look at this event and say, okay, we don't ever want to go back there again. That's not even anything we would even flirt with or tease. Uh, but, I, you know, there's some good facts. But but overall, like, knowing, it's kind of like Outlaw Josie Wales, like I'm joking around. But knowing what I know now about the Civil War in Arkansas and Civil War is a broader conflict, it's amazing how much differently I view this documentary now than 10 mm -hmm. years ago. That's, right. that's what I'll say. right. I mean, I, I still think it's an achievement. I still think it's a landmark, especially in terms of visual storytelling with history. I, I think it's one of the best examples you can think of of that. Also, I guess what to note is previous to Ken Burns' Civil War, uh, PBS produced the documentary Eyes on the Prize, which is fantastic. That is a fantastic documentary. It's pretty cheap on um, Amazon right now, actually. Right. Like yeah, the, but the great, box sets are like twenty bucks, right? So, but I I think that, and that my assessment of it, and this is something we'll get into next episode, right? When we're talking about the end of the war and all that, is I think Burns's goal here was to make the the Civil War a totally American experience. That's what he was trying to, you know, that it's connected to us all in some way. And I also think he's kind of making an argument that in a way the war, and it's going to sound maybe a little awful to say, but it made us better. Like, like it made us a better uh, group of people, right? It was like, you're talking about, Hey, well, hey, we can't fathom fighting each other like this again because of this, yeah. you know, but I don't know if it's entirely successful because I feel like, and as, as Julie, you know, you talk about, how he focuses on uh, 
like the generals and stuff like that. He falls into the clap trap of, of getting bogged down by the details. And I feel like this happens with a lot of historians. We focus on just these little points and we miss out on the larger picture. So I feel like in his aim, Ken Burns was onto something. But due to this focus on the, the minutia of things, it, it, it kind of loses the point. And it, it, it and then you get the lost cause stuff in there and it's... I think he chose the wrong subjects for the human interest part of it. Like, I think he was trying to bring it to like a relatable level and turn these generals into like, here's what they were like as people. But I think it backfired and just became lost cause stuff where instead he should have focused on the african-american perspective Absolutely. perspective of women at home or who are caught up in these battlefields and the perspective of just the average soldier yeah and uh, uh yeah that's that's a great point i mean you know it's audience decisions it's just like uh in history i mean you're taught that in your writing and your research like okay who's your audience what do they know? What are you trying to tell them? Mm -hmm. You know, what do you not need to tell them? Because they know this. And I think that that is um, definitely a, a factor here is audience. Right. Well, but, hey, so you guys oh, ever seen this one? We could do one on this one in the future. I, I happen to have the digital. No, no, I have not. I'm not. I'm not seeing that. As well. It's actually really good that you can see on the bottom the. Um, the Tecumseh's vision and Trail of Tears, I actually show in my Arkansas history class. Um, but this is, and two, they've, so there's one called Arkansas's First People. This is a larger series, like all of the states did, like, uh, got like grant money or something. But there's one of the, over the Paiutes in Utah, and uh -huh. there's a whole bunch of these We Shall Remain documentaries. But these are like the, the core, it goes all the way through Wounded Knee, but it's like, that's a topic it's like native americans and the treatment and it, like all they really talk about is um do they even mention pi no i don't think they mention arkansas at all i'm conflating that with uh uh I, I i don't think they made any mention of native americans and i could be wrong but there's an awesome awesome yeah. history there so yeah well, um, I, I think I'm open next Friday um, if you guys want to try and do another Friday episode. But um, I'll shoot you guys a message and we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Yeah. Well, right. uh, <laughs> this is fun. Are you going to sign off like Shelby Foot? Yeah. Anybody got a <laughs> anecdote they want to tell about? Um, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of a let's. Uh, how about uh, an anecdote about Albert Sidney Johnson? How about that? No, I don't even know. I don't, I'm just, I, you know, it's it's because the hero worship. Because I mean, Albert Sidney Johnson died at, at Shiloh, but they talk about him like, oh, he was the best commander. You know, <laughs> it's like the guy died. <laughs> no, I mean that was your impression rallying, is so good. <laughs> rallying his troops for one final oh, charge. Yeah, yeah, because 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 Shelby Foot describes it right, and he's like, yeah, he came out with his. Bits of his clothes nicked off, <laughs> boot flapping, or something like that, right? Isn't that, isn't that what he says? You know, the, 
Blood started pouring out of his boot. <laughs> oh, oh, we got All a new right. comment. Okay, one of the things I hear stories written from per, a first-person perspective, the human elephant uh, elements, diaries. Yeah, there are some great diaries. I've, I've been reading through some diaries uh, from Arkansans. Um, yeah, that is, like, that is a great point. The, the, and I think that that's, you see some of that in Ken Burns, but it, again, it's like um, some of these diary entries I'm running across about, like, this commentary on animals and stuff, I really feel, um, you know, it's it's the anecdotes you choose to pull in that tell the story, you know, and, and uh, right. imagine digging through diaries is a source and trying to work that into a narrative. It, it, it would be... I mean, think about sorting through common soldier diaries and trying to pull out themes like, okay, this this tells us. I mean, it's it, it takes a hundred years. I was telling somebody yesterday, it takes a hundred years to excavate cities in ancient Egypt. Yeah, like we won't even know about this recent find in southern Egypt in our lifetime. Yeah, um, and I think that this is the same thing we encounter uh, when we piece together trying to understand something like this monumental of a conflict, like the Civil War. Right. And I, I think uh, great comment, I, I have to say. And I think that in a way, it's like you were saying, Brian and, and Julie, definitely you've been saying this, it, it, but it is, is that Ken Burns, the Civil War, uh, it, it's frustrating in the fact that you feel like it gets so close to wanting to tell these other stories, these other perspectives, but then it just dives right into our traditional and I understand there's limited time, even though this is what, 11 hours. So that's, it's like a lot of time, time. but yeah. like, that's, you know, this is part of like a larger problem with documentaries and things like that, where they focus on bigger events and minority voices get lost in this when they provide a, a totally different and very valuable perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing that I'm going to do in the next episode, and I mean over the next week, or is I'm going to rewatch Ken Burns' The, the Vietnam War. Ooh, we, and I would be sort so of, down to do one over that. Well, well in a way, contrast how he handles, say, the American Civil War versus how he handles Vietnam. Now, I know that there's something like 15 years in between the making of Civil War and the making of the Vietnam War documentary, but I, I'm still curious to see, because I mean, I haven't watched it probably in two years so i need I've to never go back. watched it you need to it's good it's good it's very good yep it's on netflix i think right yeah it was uh yeah, was but well civil war was too and then it was gone i've been digitally hoarding all of this stuff we're talking about i even, I even have some software that i purchased to be able to do it it's okay i'm an educator trust me okay <laughs> Portable disc drive. They don't even make disc drives anymore. You got to buy like accessories if you want to rip. Yeah, I, both for for my birthday, my dad, I guess, purchased off eBay these DVDR drives that had all these files on like the JFK assassination. And I'm like, that's great, but I don't have a disc drive anymore. So now I'm gonna have to go hunt one down to figure out what's on these discs. You know, it's like mine, bro. Twenty nine bucks on Amazon. I just got it right here. Um, and, uh, like, cause I, the, my disc drive in my only Mac that had one stopped working Yeah. and like the black got me a copy of Lake Port lives on from Arkansas state university. Oh yeah. 
like and i can't i couldn't even rip it and i was just like oh yeah i mean yeah i know it's, it's it's like hey yeah great gift great stuff you know but it's like wow i, I can't even look at this right now like even though you go back 10 years and you can find a a, a dvd drive whatever anywhere whatever you want to look up ctr drives you know I, this is the same thing we're talking about like was when i like needed to get like my was it a term paper in 11th grade or something yeah i had it on a floppy disk <laughs> and like i was like in somebody's house i was like hey let me print this off real quick and they're like oh we don't have one of those i was like oh whoa <laughs> That was like right at the cusp, like right after that, I bought for $40 a 516 or 18 megabyte flash drive. Yeah. 40 bucks, 2006. Oh my God. <laughs> right? I, like you're going to get like a terabyte for that now. I, I, okay. I, I Going back to our documentary here, I, I think that is one thing we do have to applaud the folks who made the civil war a film by ken burns is that they did not have the internet they did not have a digitized database to work with pretty much all they had was paper and microfilm and i mean that's that's quite a task so you know we have to give them credit for that i and and maybe that's why it's made us or it's taken us 30 years to really start to pick this thing apart is because now we can go and look through databases or archives and find documents that well, maybe see, see what more of our peers say. Like we don't even like digital journals. You know, Woods argues that while while it's going to confuse the narrative for a lot of people that don't know how to research, it's also going to allow us like the digital era we're in is going to allow us the informational age mm -hmm. allow us to get to the bottom of things in a quicker manner than we could have yeah. with the, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's a, 1990 working on it for four years throughout the late eighties, the technology then for as well done as it is now Ken Burns effect from that time period is a stock feature on all video editing software. Yeah. 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 Well, excellent. Well, uh, I've got to go home and eat some dinner here. I'm looking forward to doing it again. Me too. Uh, I'm great. Any Ken Burns documentaries, I would be down to do cast on. So good times. I appreciate you guys uh, always, um, you know, making the time to come on the show. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Great. Yeah. Have a great weekend. See ya. Enjoy, enjoy a peach. <laughs> <with> Shelby. <laughs> Shelby Foot. <laughs>